This is Beyond the Uniform with TJ Brassel. Well, welcome into another episode of Beyond the Uniform. I'm your host, TJ Brassel, and I'm joined today by two-time USA champion in the women's 400-meter hurdles, 2015 world silver medalist, three-time NCAA champion, and the 10th fastest to ever run the women's 400-meter hurdles, Shamir Little. Shamir, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me, TJ. Of course. And now, I do want to point out one thing. When I say three-time NCAA champion, you only ran three years in college. So you were you were undefeated the whole time. Like there was not an NCAA loss that you had. Like you were you I just want to make sure people know that like I'm talking to one of the goats here. Yeah. I think I, I lost probably once or twice. I lost to Kenny, but for the majority of my collegiate career in four hundred hurdles, yeah, I was undefeated. For sure. And it's funny you mentioned Kenny because she was uh she was on earlier this season and we're one of the things we were talking about was I was asking her like why she decided to stick with the uh, 100 hurdles because she ran the 400, like you said, in col- the 400 hurdles in college and stuff. And she was telling me how I think it, it might have been her last race, actually, she was saying. I'm not sure if it was the last race or not, but how she was leading like the whole time and going over the last hurdle, like her leg kind of buckled and you passed her and she mm-hmm. said she was done. Or when she finished, she was like, I just hurt. Like it, it was just too painful. Like you don't get lactic in the hundred. Like I wanted to stick with, stick with the hundred. So I was, yeah. I was sitting there like, all right, well, on the flip side, like you decided I'm going to stick with the 400 hurdles. Like I'm going to go through the pain. Like why did you decide to stick with the 400 hurdles? Um, kind of, I don't know. Cause I was a hundred hurdler. I got recruited in college as a hundred hurdler. And, um, I think it was just something that kind of, I just realized I wasn't that fast. Like, <laughs> I can't even, I couldn't, I'm like, I'm fast, but I'm not that fast. I'm like, but I'm the right, the right, uh, I can do the 400 hurdles. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just stick with that. I mean, it hurts, but I, I, I'm getting somewhere with it. I'd rather that than, you know, get ate up in these 100 hurdles than feel absolutely no lactic. Very true. That's very true. So how did you like get started in the 400 hurdles then? Um, I was just talking about this. I remember watching Kendall Williams do 400 hurdles at like USA or AAU. Mm-hmm. And my coach at the time, well, we, we were like in middle school. He was like, oh, you're going to do that. I was a 400 runner and a 100 hurdler. And I was like, uh, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> so then he kind of started coaching me in the, did he, he didn't coach me in the 400 hurdles. So then I went to my next coach and one day they just entered me into a 400 hurdle race. And I felt like that was just the worst thing ever. I won, but I finished and I was like, I'm not doing this again. And then I did it a few more times. And I think I ended up becoming like AAU and USA champion in the same year. So that's how I started. Well, that's a pretty good sign to be like, ah, I don't like this, but I beat literally everyone at it. So I guess I'll stick yeah, with it. <laughs> yeah, I would stick with it as opposed to, you know, 100 hurdles. I mean, I was a top athlete in that, but it was kind of, I was reaching the end of my road in that. I'm like, okay, I like winning. So I'm going to stick with this. Fair, fair. Now, anyone who's run just a regular 400 meters, like a, or a sprint 400 meters, they know like that last 100 just generally hurts. Like you're just trying to like lift the legs and get going but they don't have to hurdle over things like you you're coming like coming off the bend you have a hurdle and then you have two more on the straight like what is that last hundred like it's rough because you cannot get to relax otherwise it's gonna you know mess up your stride pattern or something and 
like if you if you if you just have to stay really really tough more tough than you would have to in um a 400 i feel like in a 400 you're it's like get your feet down get your feet down but 400 hurdles it's like stay open so you're kind of powering through that last 400 you don't know what leg is coming up i mean you hope that you're sticking to your race plan but you just it, it hurts. It definitely hurts. But I think it hurts more so after the race is done. You kind of don't feel it because in your mind, you're just like, let's get this over with. You know what? Three more hurdles, two more hurdles. OK, finish line. Now, you you mentioned like trying to stick to your race plan and stuff like that. So like if I were to have you break down like a 400 race, like what what kind of strategy do you have going into a 400 hurdles race? Um, Definitely the main strategy is set my race up the 400 hurdles is a rhythm race like you want no matter how if you were if you run 56 or if you run 52 you kind of want to have the same step pattern the same rhythm so i think the um strategy in that is you know getting out accelerating you know attacking the first hurdle and keeping your rhythm keeping your momentum um, just not being a, not being afraid to take the hurdle. However, the race is taking you. Sometimes it may take you, you know, over the hurdle faster or you know with less steps. So I think the main thing is just definitely setting up your race for the first, you know, two hundred or one fifty, and then the rest it'll just fall into place. And you're saying like in that last hundred, like trying to hopefully stick to your race plan, but like. What's going through your mind in that last hundred? Like, is it just like a like I just got to finish, or like what what's going on? It, it's a lot of, it really honestly just depends on the type of race, who's in a race, what's happening. Like, but as, at the end of the day, I'm just like, finish, take the hurdle. Don't stutter step, you know, breathe. Don't panic. Like, just don't panic. Like, don't fall. Don't panic. That's all I'm thinking. Now you got started in track when you were super young, but like what really, what got you going in track? Um, what got me going? I want to say it was kind of the success that I was having in the 100 and 200 hurdles as a, what was that, a youth or so? Like mm -hmm. I went to nationals. I was ranked like number, number two in one or number, I was in top three in both the 100 hurdles and the 200. And I think my 400 time was getting better. So I think that's what kind of got me going was the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the top in the world, you know, at, you know, 13, 14, at 12 or 13 years old. So that's when I kind of took it more serious. That makes sense. You know, if, I mean, if you're, if you're the best in the world, you might as well keep going for a little while. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now. So what, like, how did you get your start into track? My start, my mom says, so we have this track, it's called the University of Chicago Track Club, and their track is like right off of a main street. So you can ride by and you see a bunch of kids. It's a lot of us. Like, I, I want to say most kids, there's like three programs that most Illinois, or most Chicago or Illinois kids go through coming up. And so my mom just saw a bunch of those kids practicing and she just brought me in what when I was five six years old and that's when it like all started now in college your mom and dad were both athletes your mom played basketball and did track and your dad mm -hmm. was a football player so athletics is for sure in your blood have you had you ever thought about like I'm tired of running around a track and jumping over hurdles and stuff and just doing something else um not not really. Like I want to do like 
like adventurous stuff. Like I always wanted to ride like a dirt bike or, you know, ride horses or something. But like I always joked when I was younger, like I'm going to go into motocross when I'm done. (laughs) But I think I kind of did the sports that I thought were cool before track. I think I settled on track. I was like, okay, I'm really no good at any of these. This is where, you know, I'm going to nationals here. Whereas I can barely make it out of, you know, I'm barely in the game in just my school. So I kind of back <laughs> and I was like, there's nothing else out here for me. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, I'd heard in an interview, this is a few years back, you talk about uh, when you first got to high school and how your track team, like, it, they didn't really take it all that seriously. And it wasn't like that serious of a track. And you had been used to kind of AAU and traveling and having all this su- success. And you weren't sure, like if you even wanted to do track in college or sorry, in at your high school, because it wasn't as serious. So what led you to end up deciding to still do it in high school and not just kind of go AAU? I wanted to do it in high school. The thing with me during that time, cause I went to a, I tested to get into a selective enrollment school. So it was, you know, mainly academics. There really wasn't an, it was an athletic program, but it was not structured. It was not something that I was used to. Mm-hmm. So I think I was trying to go to Morgan Park. I don't know if you know Alice. I mean, not Allison. Uh, Ale- Alexandria Anderson. Okay. For you, she went to Morgan Park, and they kind of had a good reputation. They had a reputation. They had a good track team, and also they had a very good. I think it was called the Baccalaureate program. So it was academics and athletics. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to get into there. Like there was talks about it, and then I was like. That's when I started making friends because I think track started, you know, months after school starts. I was like, well, I'm making friends. Like, I might as well, you know, just stay and we'll we'll figure some things out. Like, and then I, I think I got with my new coach that I was with and it just ended up working out fine. And I would practice at the school with the, my high school coach. Um, and then I would do some some days where I would go with, you know, my AAU coach. I think it worked out fine. I'm glad I stayed. And so uh, off the top, I mentioned how in college you were three-time NCAA champion and that it was only three times because you ended up leaving early after the 20, after 2016. Why did you decide like that was the good, that was the time for you to, to turn pro? And because I mean, also like a lot of people don't necessarily think of athletes outside of maybe football and track leaving early. So they don't necessarily realize that people do that. So why was that the time for you to, to go? Um, I just felt like it was right. I felt like there was so much hype kind of rolling off my sophomore year. They were like, I think that's when I, I won. You know, I got not won. I got silver at Worlds. And I was like, oh, you should go pro. Like, I was like, I'm not ready. Like, I don't even know where the first hurdle mark goes. First of all, like, you really think I need to be professional overseas by myself? So I kind of, everybody was talking, like not everybody, but there were certain people that were like, yeah, you know, get the money, do whatever. And it's like in one ear out there. I'm like, I'm staying, I'm staying with my coach. I'm at least going to, you know, now pay attention at practice and mm-hmm. learn stuff and become more independent. So then I stayed another year and kind of like, I think even before the season started, I sat down with the coach and I was like, okay, this is the plan. Like, I want to go pro, like, you know, I waited, like, I'm not in such a big rush. Like, I don't, I never really, like, glamorized track and field. Like, I never even saw myself really going pro. So everything was kind of just coming, you know, one meet at a time, one year at a time. And then I decided, I decided kind of early on in my junior year, like, okay, this is the plan. We're going to go pro. 
and we just trained and we just took it meat by meat. Now, obviously we've talked about you've had a lot of success at, at kind of all levels. Um, but I mean, there's also been, there's been races that haven't gone quite as planned, like the 2016 Olympic trials, 2017 world, stuff like that. What was it about those races that was, that was so different for you? Um, it was just being on a, a big stage. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't want to say I chose, like you can make a million and one excuses, Honestly, I was not focused. I even remember running in the race and I think uh, my bottoms, my bottoms were getting up, bunched in my underwear. I like had never really worn the, I wore the buns, but they were getting bunched off. I was like, oh, I'm getting a wedgie. And I was just like, everybody just like, pew, pew, pew. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I just was not, I wasn't, I want to, I wasn't focused. Like I was just, that was, it was just, I was think I was more, not more on my own, but it wasn't like the team. You can't really hear my name. Like, you know, I wasn't, I just wasn't focused. That's, mm-hmm. that's how I can put it up to. Now, obviously this, or well, I guess next year will be the Olympic trials because it was moved due to COVID-19 and everything. What changes would, do you think you'll have to make going into that to put yourself in a position to make the team? Um. Just keep doing what I'm doing. Me and Coach Johnson, we talk about, you know, when you get to the knee, it's no need to do all this extra different stuff. Like, if you've been doing this, we've been training, practicing, hurdling, warming up this way. You don't need to go to the track and just, you know, start start busting out some new stuff. Like, you just trust in yourself. You go in and you just, you get you get it done. Now, I mean, you, you're kind of, of almost a, like pretty much a vet at this point. Like you've been on the, on the circuit for a minute now. What kind of confidence does that give you going into those trials, knowing what it's like and having been there before? Um, you just, just the experience, you know, what to expect. Everything isn't so new. You're not hearing you're like, Oh my goodness, like what? No headphones. You know, you're not thinking of every you've been there. You're like, okay, I can wear the headphones over here. I can walk over here. Like, even the setup with family, like you when you first I first got there, it's like family's all in your room, like y'all hanging out, like it's fun. No, once we get to this trials, it's it's none of that. We are I'm I'm staying focused, like I'm not trying nothing new. And look, we have a goal. Like we can do all the celebration and the the rah-rah after after the meet is gone. But for now, just knowing what I know, I can I just it's just more experience. I'm more calm. And that's that's just how I go into it. Having been there before and and not making the team last time, what kind of added pressure does that put on for you put on you going into these next trials? Um, I don't know. I feel like, of course, it, it it's just a lot of pressure coming from always. Of course, they'll probably talk about, you know, oh, she was number one and she didn't make the team. And I'm just going to not even focus on that. That was 2016. Here we are, you know, five years later. Like, mm-hmm. it, I don't want the pressure from what happened when I was 22 years old to affect, like, how I'm going to act at 25, 26 years old. Now, with, I mentioned, obviously, the trials being moved and everything like that due to COVID-19. So with that move, like, how has that affected kind of your training and your plan going into the trials? Um, 
just more time. I don't even think of it as a negative. It's just, it's more, it's just more time. Like, I feel like I was ready. I would have been ready, you know, had it been now. Okay. But now we have, you know, another year. So I've, I've been fit from, from that to up to this point. And it's like, I'm only going to get even more fit. So it is, that's the upside to it. It's more time to prepare. It's more time to, you know, get faster. It's more time to get stronger, all of that. Where were you when you found out like that the season was shut down, like as you're starting to kind of ramp up and get ready for the season and the trials, like, and all of a sudden it just stops. Um, I remember we had practice. I want to say it was like a Friday and coach was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll meet y'all at practice. And he came to practice and he was like, everybody, I need everybody to gather around. I'm like, what's going on? Like, what, we quarantining at your house? Like, it was a joke. <laughs> he was like, look, by next Monday, all this is getting shut down. We was just like, huh? Like, it, it just didn't hit. He was like, all oh, this is getting shut down. We won't be able to practice, you know, inside. We won't be able to lift any of this. And it's just like, okay, so what are we going to do? Like, and that was how I found out when we were at the track at practice. What went through your mind? I was just like, huh? Like, we can't practice at the track. Like, so where are we going to practice? Like, how are we going to get our workouts in? Or I was thinking, oh, well, maybe we could just go to the neighboring, the high school track or something. But then he was like, well, all that's going to get shut down. Because if the colleges get shut down, then you can only imagine. Then the high schools are going to follow, follow suit then elementary. And it was just like okay like i guess what have what kind of things like have you been able to do though during quarantine to kind of keep your body in shape that you need to to race in the four hurdles oh mileage definitely got a lot stronger with um mileage i feel like two years ago you cannot pay me any amount of money to run over 800 meters and here i am (laughs) like getting through this mileage, like hanging, hanging on for like bossing through this mileage. Like I'm so proud of myself. Um, just basically, I feel like we've kind of slipped back into like, you know, a fall training mode. We're still doing speed stuff. Like, uh, we do sprints, like we're in spikes at times. So I feel like, I mean, we're still getting it done. Our coach is doing a very good job of preparing us for this, despite what's going on. Like we've adapted very we've adapted now earlier when i was talking about you you've kind of been you're, you're you are a vet at this point like you kind of know the lay of the land and you were talking when we were talking about kind of some of the mishaps and you were saying like you weren't just weren't quite as focused so like being on the circuit for for so long now like what how have you seen yourself kind of grow as a person and as an athlete oh, that's a good one um seeing myself grow i'm definitely of course you know more focused. I'm definitely more independent. You know, I go from, you know, first year or two, you know, I stay in the hotel all day. Or when I go to practice, I'm like, can someone set up my hurdles? Like the coach, like, where does hurdle one go to now I'm out there and I'm just like, okay, hurdle one goes right here. Like I know the marks I'm able, you know, I'm like, okay, this is about 60 meters. Like I'll probably ask the coach, you know, to to watch or something or time. But for the most part, when my coach is not able to accompany me on those meets, I, I, I can do a good job of, you know, being my own coach and, you know, I have my little stopwatch now. Um, I just pack my bag. I have a lot of, you know, I do my rehab. Like 
I'm just, I'm more independent. I love seeing where I've come from, from, you know, like I said earlier, I don't know where the first hurdle mark is. Like, don't ask me any questions about the 400 hurdle. I just get in the blocks and I just go to, you know, knowing where the 400 hurdles are, knowing where the eighth hurdle is, you know, just off, off looking. So I'm very proud of how I've grown. And I mean, with, with that kind of maturation process, like what kind of changes have you seen in your performance as you kind of take those steps to grow as an athlete? Um, I want to say, you know, more confidence. I'm not as moved by my nerves. I remember I used to be so nervous before me. It's like not necessarily scared, but just like, what's the outcome going to be like? Especially, you know, after running 52 with, you know, Delilah and, and that race, it's like every time we line up, I'm like, what's going to happen next? Like, <laughs> I used to be so nervous. Now I'm slightly nervous, but I kind of go into the races with a little more confidence. I'm like, I'm a veteran. You know, I'm one of the best. I prove myself time and time again. And I just need to, to execute. I'm a lot more calm. There's no panic. Um, any other part of the race where I will kind of, you know, just space out. That's when I, I, I lock in and I say these mental cues to myself. What are the mental cues? Um, stay open. Pay attention. Like, pump your arms. Like, pay attention. I, I can. I remember... You know, running the race, and I'm just running. Everybody's like, pew, pew. And I'm like, oh, I was supposed to do this. And it's <laughs> like, oh my goodness, my attention span is just, it's like a goldfish, I swear. <laughs> so, for someone who, who's kind of growing up in the sport right now and, and trying to kind of learn what you've learned through your experience, like, what advice would you give them? Advice? So a younger person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's kind of, who's trying to kind of find their way in in track and and stuff right now? Um, first rule: listen to your coach. Like everybody is gonna have their say so. Which even your friends, your your some everybody's gonna oh you should do this and don't. I mean, you can listen, you can not, but let it pass in one ear and out the other. Don't have too many people digging in the pot. Trust your coach. Trust your training. And I feel like everything will be fine. Once you start having all these outside influences, there becomes doubt because you're like, my coach said do this, but this coach, this is this is Shamir's culture. This is the little coach. They told me to do this. And you're like, okay, but that's the little and Shamir's coach. That's not your coach. And I think that's the most important thing is definitely listen to your coach. That's what I that's that's what I've learned. That's the best takeaway I've had. Now, I've talked with some other people in various interviews about this as well, but one thing that's always intrigued me is when you're on the circuit, like you guys are traveling the world kind of together, like the same people kind of go to all like the same meets and stuff. But with that, like it's different in than like football or basketball where like you're literally scoring on a person or you're tackling a person like you kind of just control your own race. You can't you don't really have an effect of what the other person's doing. But at the same time, you're still competitors. So, like, what is that dynamic like with all the people that you see at all these meets, yet you're still having to compete against the same thing? I feel like there's no bad blood. There's no bad energy. Like, at the end of the day, we spend 52 seconds as competitors, but we spend, you know, the rest of the week as, you know, dining partners, you know, roommates, um, traveling together. So it's like that's that like we're like the hurdlers I feel like we get along fine like there's 
there's no like there's no beef. We're all very talented in our own way. Like, and I think that's that's just how I look at it. Absolutely. And I actually heard a story from you. Uh, I think I want to say the interview was in 2018. You were telling a story about uh, that kind of displays exactly what you were saying with Sarah Slot Peterson uh, s- saving you on the track. Can you, can you tell me that story real quick? Saved my life. Oh, <laughs> we had just finished in Lausanne and I'm finishing the race. I kicked off my shoes. I'm walking back to collect my bag and I step on a, a what's it called? The, uh, the pin, like the big pin. pin. And I'm like, ah, and I look at it and the whole pin is standing straight up in my, in my foot. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, you like I said, you would have thought I got shot. Like I'm, I don't like needles. I don't like pain. And I was just like, oh my god, oh my god, help! And then I think one of the medical personnel or somebody came over, and they were just holding my foot, and they were like, don't move, don't touch it. And I'm like, no, like I need this out. Like what are y'all? I don't know what they're saying. And I'm like, I just want this out of my foot. And then Sarah, she like grabs my leg, and she's just like, she's like we're just going to take it out. And I was like, okay, okay. And she just, she just pulled it out with ease. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, thank you. And ever since then, like, I think that kind of started like a, a, a little friendship between us. So now every time we see each other, we're like, hey, we catch up a little bit. Absolutely. That's, I mean, if that, if that doesn't show how everyone gets along well, like, I don't know what does. Yeah, imagine them walking past me, seeing me with this thing in my foot. They're like, oh. <laughs> Sorry for you. Like, dang, that's how we doing it. <laughs> That'd be pretty savage. That would have been pretty savage. Yeah. All right. So I'll, I think it was in that same interview as well. Some of the things you talked about was how, like, you get to travel to all these places, but you never really got to, like, sightsee that much because you were so focused on, like, you're there for a job. Like, you, you, you want to rest. You want to you wanna focus on what you're doing. But you were also saying how, like, now that you've gotten kind of the lay of the land, you you were thinking of maybe maybe exploring a little bit more since then and, and trying to sightsee a little bit. What kind of things? So that was back in 2018. So since then, like, what kind of things have you gotten to see a little bit more of when you go to all these places that you get to travel to? Um, I think food. Like, you get on the circuit, you're like, okay, this is the only food available. This is all I know. I'm eating this food. But as you get older, you're like, I'm tired of this food. So now you start using, you know, Google, Yelp. You're like, okay, well, now that Uber is a major thing, Uber, okay, let's learn the transit. We can walk. Like, I know that, you know, my legs aren't going to be deflated by the time that the meat comes. You get in here three days early. So it's like, I've definitely been trying out of the hotel. I'm trying. I'm I'm getting to the food. Like I want some Thai food. Like Thai food tastes way better in Europe than it does in <laughs> America. So that was one of the main things. And I think this year I was like, okay, we're gonna take it up a notch. Like I'm a I'm gonna let's go, you know, go. You see these videos on Twitter, it's like Switzerland and it's like a roller coaster going through the mountains. <laughs> like, yeah, we're doing I'm doing that. When I get there, I'm doing that. And then COVID hit and it was just like Okay, and I've been in the house, and I'm like, yeah, I definitely am going to take advantage of exploring. You get to go to all these wonderful countries, and, you know, they boot us out the hotel the day after the meet. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, oh, can I pick a late flight out of, you know, that city, uh, you know, the next day, or, you know, get there a day earlier or something, just so I just want to explore, take advantage of this time. Because I know as I get older and I'm done with track, then I'm going to have to start paying for these flights, like... <laughs> 
I don't know. Let me get it all right now while, you know, my tab is being covered. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Now, when you're, when you're talking, you mentioned food and I was also in that same interview, you were talking about how like growing up, like you didn't really, you grew up in Chicago and you didn't really like a lot of food outside of kind of what you had in Chicago. So how did you, how did you start to develop a taste for other food in all the places you're traveling? Um, if I just learned that just I, I miss the, you know, the fries, the home, the hoagie, the heroes. And I'm like, okay, I can't eat that. Like I can't <laughs> take that with me. Even if I'm in season and I go to like I can't eat that. So I've kind of like, like I said, Thai food, I know it's good. It's nice, clean eating. Um, you know, some some Sam, you know, I just find the clean eating spots that are highly rated. Absolutely. And so now I'm not talking about just traveling here, but just in general, like track athletes have a decent amount of downtime outside of training. So like what kind of things do you do uh, in your downtime or like what kind of hobbies do you like to do you have? I like to sleep. Like, <laughs> I think I don't know anyone that sleeps as much as me except Kenny. I think Jenna was like, uh, you sleep more than Kenny. I was like, she was like, I think you sleep as much as Kenny. Like we take, I take a nap before practice. I come back from practice. I take my shower. I can take a nap at five o'clock and wake up at six and be perfectly fine. Like that's, that's hobby number one. Uh, number two was like, I'll like go through my music and organize my music or I'll just clean out the house and organize things. I have my dog. I'll walk him, do stuff with him. I try to get into, you know, doing a puzzle or reading or watching TV. It's not, it's not one set hobby. It's just kind of, I, I just dibble and dabble in things when I'm, when I feel myself getting extremely bored. Absolutely. That's, that's cool. I like that. And that, so the sleeping thing much, must just be a hardler thing then. Oh, I, I guess so. Or, or, or me and Kenny thing. I would like to know if there are any more hurdlers that can manage to sleep as much as we do. Absolutely. So when you when you mentioned Kenny and you look at kind of all the hurdlers in the U.S. in the 100, the 400, the, the men's 110, stuff like that, like the U.S. just has in women's 400 for women's 400 hurdles, for example, like the top two times of all time are still racing. And then you're the tenth of all time. And then in the in the women's hundred hurdles, like you have gold, silver, bronze in the last Olympics. Oh, and the world record holder in Kenny Harrison. Like, and the men's side is is just as powerful. Like, why is the U.S. so good at hurdling? I honestly don't know. I wonder. I never paid attention, but I wonder if it has something to do with you know, like our AAU USA structure. I feel like we're hurdling from, you know, from the time where, when did they allow us to hurdle? They allow us to do 60 hurdles. Mm-hmm. So we're like, you know, 10 years old. I'm like, do yeah. Europeans start that early? Cause I know they have world youth, but mm-hmm. that's like world baby or something. Like I feel <laughs> like we kind of start out a little earlier. I don't know. Actually, I don't really know what it is, but I'm proud to be American. I'm proud to, come from this you know this 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 country where we have just great hurdlers and to be up in the mix and all of this now one of your your kind of trademarks and you've talked about this plenty is is your trademark bow mm-hmm. i know that like when you when you went to college like it kind of it took your coach it took some time to convince your coaches to really like 
have them be okay with it. But where did that start? Like, how did the the bow come about? Um, I was in the the Aggie gift shop in the mall, and I I remember this was when I first got to college. I had this little island of hair on top of my head. And I was just silly. I think I had on my brother's shirt. Mind you, my brother was like eight years old. So I had brought his shirt from from Chicago and I was wearing it in the mall being silly. And I saw the bow and I like put it in my hair and took a picture. Like I have the picture in my phone. And I think I kind of brought it up to I think I bought it and I brought it up to coach. I was like, can I wear a bow? He was like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. And one day I just I just popped it in and I just ran and it just it got so much response. It, it made me stand out and I was winning or running fast or a combination of both. And so it kind of just, there was no argument anywhere about it. And it's now like, if I didn't wear it, it's like, well, where's the bow? I'm like, okay. Oh, now you're on board. <laughs> so was part of, did part of that almost become like a superstition that like you, you needed to have the bow? Oh, yeah. I was like, okay, if I have my bow, like it'll be days. Sometimes I forget the bow and I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot the bow. Or somebody had made a comment like, yeah, she brought that bow out. She was looking real bouncy. I knew it was on. I'm like, (laughs) okay, like, I guess this is something I got to stick with. Now, I'd also heard a story of one time you didn't wear the bow and your mom got upset at you because she couldn't find you in the race. Yeah, because she's like, y'all all look alike. I'm like, I-, I left it, like, or it broke off, or or something had happened, and she couldn't find me in the race. So it kind of takes her, you know, at least four hurdles for her to figure out which one is her daughter. So I was like, okay, my bad. Like, I'll wear it again because I know, like, I want you to know who I am from the jump. <laughs> is that some? Is is the boat? Will that kind of always be a part of Shamir Little when you're racing? Yeah, it's kind of like we uh, uh Michelle Samet of um Spikes Mac. I think she she made me a logo and it had the bow and it had the glasses and I was like, oh dang, like I can't get I can't get rid of it now. Like this <laughs> logo is too far. Like I, I I can't afford. I don't want to start over. Like what else would I put my initials? Like no. So it kind of I got rid of the glasses. Um, the bow we're gonna figure it out. Like I cut my hair off, so I don't know where it's going to be at maybe I have to clip it on my shoulder or something but I have to figure out a way to keep it keep it around you could you could put on a headband clip it on the headband put it on there you'll be dialed in true I can always do that (laughs) and then one last thing before you go so a lot of the athletes that I had on here were Oregon athletes in the first season and so I talked to them about kind of what the new Hayward will be like and what they, what they're expecting and stuff like that. But for you, I want to read this off real quick. Cause you've had a lot, or I guess at the old Hayward, you had a lot of success there. Like mm-hmm. you had, you had a streak where 2014 NCAA championships, 2014 us juniors, 2014 world juniors, 2015 NCAA championships, 2015 USA track and field championships, 2016 NCAA championships. So like you were, you were no, uh, no stranger to success at Hayward Field. So what kind of, what are you expecting when you go to the new Hayward Field? Oh, I don't know. The field looks absolutely beautiful. Like, I can't wait to run there. I'm going to be nervous. But um, what was the, the, I, I haven't had, you know, the same success as I had in college at Hayward Field as a pro. I mean, I've gotten second, like it's good, but I'm just looking, I'm looking forward to it. It's like any other track, but now it's a home track. It's just a little bit more, you know, pride. Like it's, it's a 
uh, amazing stadium here. So I'm excited to get back to it. Like, I don't know what to expect. Awesome. Well, we are very excited to see everything that's coming in the next few years. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye out for you in the in those 2021 trials, and we wish you nothing but the best. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, TJ. Of course. And thank you for everyone for watching. Thank you for everyone listening. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel or the podcast, make sure you do so you don't miss an episode. And also follow us at beyond underscore the uniform uh, to stay up to date with everything. And don't forget, every athlete has a story. You just have to listen. I'll see you guys next time. This was Beyond the Uniform with TJ Brass. Join me again next week when 2016 Olympian and two-time USA Synchro Athlete of the Year, Anita Alvarez, joins the show.